Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, we're watching Risky Business in this episode, so just gotta slap a whole bunch of content warnings on the beginning of this, uh, because the film, if you don't remember it, uh, is essentially about a sex trafficking ring in which the clients are all children, uh, so keep that in mind. There's also a brief discussion in the episode of abortion subplots in other teen comedies from the 1980s, uh, so probably keep that in mind. And, and perhaps most importantly, uh, certainly to our listeners, um, there is some discussion of racism against Italian-Americans. Uh, so we just wanted to make sure you were aware uh, that these issues would be addressed up front. Uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. So your folks are going out of town. Just use your best judgment. You know we trust you. Place all to yourself. A good time, Joel. In the privacy of your own home. Just take those old records off the shelf. That's her. She's fantastic. Yeah. I listen to myself. Did you have a good time last night? <laughs> I had a great time. Today's music ain't got the same song. You ever get high, Joel? Don't let me do anything stupid. Don't worry. Who's the U-boat commander? I don't remember giving permission for a party, Joe. A party? I've got a trig midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. I want to say one thing about okay. the film before we start, which is okay. the, the hardest part of this movie for me is that they don't say the title of the movie is a line of dialogue in the film i thought so too and i was really upset i think most of the other movies we watched this season almost all of them did and this one didn't and you could say that that is the sign of a good movie but we could really ask the question that's is not, this a good movie that's not that's not what's happening here but imagine <laughs> this movie would have gone up two letter grades easily in my estimation if the final shot was Tom Cruise looking into the camera and saying, now that's risky business. <laughs> if only. Welcome back to Probably Should Have Known Better, celebrating comedy that is aged very poorly, a description that, if it applies to any movie, applies to our selection today. Uh, I'm Tony Ginocchio, uh, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, uh, and if you think of our podcast as the Church of Scientology, <laughs> she... I hate, I hate this already. <laughs> she is truly the David Miscavige leading us into a new era it's nadia vasquez i don't know if i am honored or appalled truly you. you know he's a very powerful person uh he he you know really runs the show over there at the church of scientology he has a wife who i'm sure is definitely alive and not being <laughs> tortured in a bunker somewhere 
Thank you. I appreciate it. I now am scared that we will be receiving some sort of retribution for this joke somehow. <laughs> that is my only Scientology joke for today, though. I, I have plenty of other uh, jokes, but I did want to I wanted to get one in on Scientology, but I felt it was too easy a punching bag. Well, Nadia, how are you doing? How have you been? How was your week? This was a great week because I went outside. Hey. <laughs> that has been a really difficult thing to do in Los Angeles because nobody gives a fuck about the quarantine anymore. People are walking around without masks on. So, you know, taking a leisurely stroll down the street has become a very stressful event. So I just mostly stay indoors now. Mm-hmm. But because Gavin Newsom has made it illegal for anyone to be walking around without a mask, I have been out and about in nature it's been very very pleasant i went to santa barbara and uh did some kayaking that's awesome yeah look at me being sporty yeah did you see all the did you see all the places where they filmed psych on usa i have never seen that show but now i'm sad that (laughs) i haven't so that i could have said yes (laughs) (laughs) but i did have a good smoothie oh that's good yeah yeah well, we, you know, I, I am the same way, Nadia. I have been, I have left my home like three times in the past 14 weeks. Uh, and, um, and, but one of them was yesterday. Uh, yesterday, uh, when we're recording this, was Father's Day. Uh, and we went to see my parents. Uh, oh, happy suburbs. Father's Day also. I said that to you yesterday, yes, but it wasn't recorded you. on the, on recordings. Thank you. Yes, uh, my wife taught the baby to say Happy Father's Day. It was very sweet. Oh, um, we got to see my parents the first time we've seen them since uh, since pandemic started. We had each been self quarantining for a couple a couple weeks to uh, reduce our risk, and uh, and yeah, it was just really nice seeing them. Um, they were obviously really happy to see uh, little baby G, and uh, it ended it ended up being a really pleasant weekend. So. Um, it sucks that we had to sully it by watching this this movie, which I really don't like. I didn't um, like it either, and it's really weird to me that this is a classic. It, and that's the thing is, it who is, is a, this for? <laughs> a revered film from its era, uh, a a critically acclaimed film when it came out, a massive box office success, launched the career of a young man named Thomas C. Mapother IV, who, like a coward, performs under a fake name, Tom Cruise. Uh, We're talking about Risky Business from 1983, directed by Paul Brickman. Uh, But before we we get into this movie, which makes no fucking sense at all, I would argue. Not at all. (laughs) I do want to do that thing where we name one good thing. (laughs) (laughs) that we are watching or listening to or reading um, to kind of sustain us through the episode. So what is getting you through quarantine right now? Well, I didn't know, I didn't get the memo that it was a good thing that we had to be watching, but, and this is going to be very controversial, but I also have to preface this by saying I'm more of a Harry Potter girl myself. Okay. But I watched the first ever Star Wars episode four, uh, for the first time in, I'm going to say, five years or so. I'm not a big Star Wars person. Mm-hmm. And I have been hanging out with a beautiful five-year-old girl who is really great. And she loves Baby Yoda. And she wanted to watch Big Yoda because she'd heard a lot about it. <laughs> so when did you figure out that Big Yoda is not in this particular film? <laughs> At the very end. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> 
watched it anyway and at the end she's just like big yoda's not in here <laughs> and i felt so bad and now i have to watch a whole other one and i don't want to I don't, i'm sorry but i don't think those movies are good i think the fact that carrie fisher is british in some scenes and not in others <laughs> is really just there's just a lot of stuff in there nobody says princess leia's name correctly like there's nobody who is the second ad <laughs> like well, nobody was helping i don't think there was a second ad on the film i mean that's the thing about the original star wars trilogy is it was all it was all george lucas like it was his yeah. baby it was in his head it was his production company it was and that's you know that's if fine yeah i mean like it's a it's a the disney films which i um which are fine um but yeah. they, they're just very sanitized in, in a lot of ways for sure um and to uh you know i mean i respect lucas for doing that i have not watched the original trilogy in you said five years for me it's at least 10 it might be 20 like wow well i it, had never watched it up until five years ago for the first time ever oh really okay. i've just i've never really been interested and every time i watch it i'm just like i don't get it but i'm usually with people who really love it and so i can't be honest about it and so now i'm doing it here where it's recorded forever so <laughs> i can be you know you can be canceled you, later on i'll be canceled later on if i ever get cast in a star wars movie they're just like <laughs> Oh, but she didn't like it. Cancel her ass. <laughs> uh, the the other thing, you know, the first Star Wars, the, the 1977 one you just watched, so that was a Best Picture nominee at the Oscars. Wow. Um, and it lost uh, to, uh, of, well, you're saying good, but the movie it lost to was Annie Hall, written and directed Oh, by I take Allen. it back. Redacted. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, you know, it's funny because I thought Harrison Ford was wonderful, yeah. And I, I honestly thought it was fine when you were kind of doing the action scenes. When you're watching those, that's great. But any other time, I'm just like, okay, this story is really stupid. <laughs> I do think I do think between that movie and The Last Jedi, Mark Hamill got a lot better at acting. Oh, a hundo. A hundo. Yeah. I do remember actually being on his side at one point when I was watching the last, well, I guess the third one. Well, I guess oh, the yeah. sixth one, if we're talking in <laughs> chronological order. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a very interesting thing to me that people really, you know, centered their whole personalities around these movies. But, you know, yeah. I I mean, I, I thought that Big Yoda was in this one, but he wasn't. And so that was funny. But besides that, you know, things are pretty much the same, watching okay. the same same comfort shows but what about you i want to hear what you're into so we did um we did start uh what we do in the shadows the series ah uh, naja is in that it's pretty fucking hilarious um, what a great show great show now we're only a few episodes in um so i uh so i will what i'm going to plug is actually the movie what we do in the shadows which came out in 2014 uh written by jermaine clement and takiwatiti um and uh, is exactly the same in terms of its sense of humor. Um, I will say they did not come up with the genius concept of an energy vampire until the TV series. That was the funniest. I had to pause it because I had to just sit with that idea. That, it was I, amazing. You have to understand, I have worked in an office where people have signs up in their cubicles that say no energy vampires allowed. <laughs> and it's not a reference to the show wow that's a thing people say about people in the office and usually they're referring to me to be no. clear. 
You are not an energy vampire. Are you That's, kidding? What are you like am, at the office? Now I'm scared. I, oh, I'm a piss ants at the office. But um, <laughs> are no, you horrible on purpose when you're at work? I'm not horrible. I just um, I don't like doing any of the social stuff. Like, oh, okay. I don't that's do fair. the happy hour stuff. Like, and that's because I want to like get home and see my kid type thing. Oh, I say I say that now. Like, I'm I'm not going you've, to the you've office. You've had right a kid now. for the <laughs> last like seven years that you haven't been going to these events. They're like, how old's your kid? Eight? And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But anyways, what we do in the shadows. The movie uh, was made in New Zealand. It is the thing that I love about the movie that I think the series does really well is you know I think a lot of the time in comedy when you're writing comedy you're told that you have to keep uh elevating the stakes <laughs> you have to keep <laughs> raising the stakes and somehow uh what we do in the shadows uh really finds a way to continually lower the stakes uh <laughs> to the point where like at the beginning of the movie you're like oh they're vampires are they gonna get caught are they gonna get hunted and then by the end of the movie you're like are they gonna like make a friend <laughs> <laughs> it's a really really amazing tv show i haven't seen the movie but I really like the TV show because there's a character named Naja. Yes, who's great. And that is so close to my name. <laughs> Nobody has ever named me unless it's a naked woman in American Pie. So I really appreciate the positive representation of my name. <laughs> a version of it, at least. Um, so great. So now we have the energy to talk about risky business. Do we, uh, though? Do it... we have to? Can we skip it and not... <laughs> What is so weird to me, because I saw this film when I was in high school for the first time, um, and it it's so weird about this film, but it's also true of a lot of films of this era, is for some reason this film is remembered as this, like, fun, like, teen sex romp comedy, and it actually has, like, some incredibly dark elements Oh, it's in so it. dark. I don't get how this is a teen movie. And it's um, and that's also true of uh, other movies from this era. And I think about like Dirty Dancing, which is an actually good movie, but the plot of Dirty Dancing hinges on a botched abortion. Uh, and, Can I admit uh, something? I've what? never seen Dirty Dancing. Okay, well, the reason Jennifer Grey gets a job in the dance troupe is because like a member of the dance troupe gets an infection from her abortion that <gasps> went wrong. Oh my god! Yeah. Why is that so dark? It is a very good movie, though. It's very enjoyable. Okay, um, I'll, I'll check it out. Check it out. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Oh, Fast Times at Richmond High is the other one. Is um, Everybody remembers it because like, Sean Penn plays a stoner, but it also is about an abortion. <laughs> what, just... is up with the, what is up with the early 80s where everyone is just fucking <laughs> loves prostitutes and abortions? Yeah, and this, this movie, which is about a sex trafficking ring, essentially. Oh, my God. <laughs> It is just, like, unbelievably dark. It has some moments in it that are funny. There are there are moments where I laughed. Yeah. Um, there are some funny things that do happen in this film, and, and intentionally, intentionally so, so. They're trying to be funny. They pull it off. But, like, for the most part, this is, so far, this is the shortest movie we have watched, I think, in mm -hmm. terms of runtime, and it was such a slog. It really was a slog, and I didn't realize that I was supposed to be rooting for anyone at yeah. any point. I was like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to care. So the the plot of the film, uh, in case you haven't seen it, 
Um, it stars Tom Cruise, who I believe was 11 years old when this film was made. <laughs> he was a uh, baby. Tom Cruise plays Joel. He is a high school uh, student on Chicago's North Shore, baby. Ferris Bueller, Mean Girls, Risky Business, Three Examples is Enough. Uh, he, uh, his parents are out of town for the week. He is suffering from crippling anxiety over, uh, the fact that he really wants to go to college. He's worried he's not going to get into a university and also, uh, he never parties and never fucks. Uh, so (laughs) while his parents are out, he decides to severely overcorrect, uh, fucks a prostitute, falls in love with her, uh, gets into all sorts of trouble where he ends up, uh, destroying his dad's Porsche. And so in order to pay for the repairs to the Porsche, he and his, uh, prostitute friend decide to, uh, turn his house in Glencoe, Illinois, into a brothel for a night, (laughs) Um, so just bringing in sex workers from all over to have sex with, let's be very clear, with children. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that was gross. With children, uh, so that he can make all the money back, um, to pay for the repairs to his dad's car. Uh, in the course of running the brothel, his interviewer from Princeton University comes and, uh, ends up getting laid. Uh, and so, uh, because of that, he ends up admitting Joel to Princeton, and, uh, Joel, uh, continues to be in love with Lana, the call girl, um, after they fuck on the red line in Chicago. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, Lana is on the run from a violent pimp named Guido, so right away, (laughs) this film traffics in America's original sin, racism against italian americans <laughs> uh, did you feel personally slighted from this? i did guido amazingly is played by a very young joe pantoliano the guy <laughs> the guy from memento slash the matrix slash ralphie in the sopranos um guy who's been in a million different uh films um and is a great great character actor uh and Uh, This movie was a defining movie of the early 1980s. There are so many, like, kind of indicators of the era. There's so much fucking synth on the soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) They Um, really leaned in hard. They just fucking lean on those synths. But, um, I don't know. Nadia, tell me about 1983. What the hell was going on that led to people seeing this movie? Well, I think just the, the bar was very low in general. <laughs> uh, the top song of the year was Every Breath You Take from the Police. Mm-hmm. Notable mentions for top songs of that year were Hollow Notes, Man Eater, which I love. Men at Work's Down Under, which is my dad's favorite song. And Toto by Africa, which is... Uh, you mean Africa by Toto. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. So, okay. you know, we got we had some bops going on. Those, those are all staples of the decade. Absolutely. So for some reason, Risky Business stuck to the psyche of people at the time. <laughs> I don't know why. But the big movies at the time also included Return of the Jedi, who mm-hmm. we were just talking about, Terms of Endearment, and Flashdance. Yeah, so... That's the thing. Is, I mean, we'll talk about the box office in a minute, but this, this movie was in the top ten for the year. 
it is yes. not the worst movie that was in the top 10 for the year because that is Flashdance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it was interesting to see that they were both made around the same time. I feel mm. like the fashions were so different. Yes. But I, again, I'm not a wasp from Illinois, so I wouldn't know what that <laughs> wardrobe would look like. Flashdance is all side ponytails. It's sweatbands. It's it's the the uh, the greatest leg, leg warmers. Risky business. Super preppy. Yeah, um, everything that you see in Flashdance is what you would wear to an '80s themed party. But if yes. you were to show up in whatever they were wearing in Risky Business, you'd be such a fucking square. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> and and you have nailed it because Risky Business is about wasps in the Chicago suburbs. Yes, just fucking squares. Anyway, so uh, that year was also the when the MASH finale aired, mm-hmm. and over 125 million people watched it. But I also read this really... I don't know who keeps track of these facts, but I just laughed so hard because it was... They said that in New York City, there was a hike in the amount of sewage that came into the system right after the finale ended. So apparently everyone was holding it until the finale was over. Like, nobody was going during the commercial breaks or anything. People were just holding it. They didn't want to miss a thing. The the MASH finale? The MASH finale. And I know, I believe that was, at the time, the most watched TV program of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And apparently, like, it caused such a hike in the sewage system that they were worried that the sewage system would completely collapse for about 15 minutes. But the panic soon ended after that, once everything kind of flushed. my traditional post-MASH shit. <laughs> It's really wild, but uh, in 1983, here's a a cold hard fact for you. 90% of U.S. media was controlled by 50 companies as opposed to the six companies that currently own the 90% now. Ah, boy. (laughs) Uh, Additionally, John Lasseter was fired from Disney in 1983 for pushing too hard on computer animation. And uh, when Disney bought Pixar in 2006, he was given a $5 million signing bonus as an apology and a $2.5 million yearly salary and control of all of Disney's animation projects. So in the end, you got to stick to your guns, guys. Mm-hmm. This is what we learned from John Lasseter. Yeah, he got me too, right? Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. Just sure. uh, <laughs> uh, also, uh, thanks this for was... Toy Story, though. Yeah. Oh, we loved that. Uh the computer mouse was invented in 1983. That's a huh. huge, huge thing for us here. We still use to this day. Sally Ride became the first woman in space that year. The My two favorite publications, Vanity Fair and Bop Magazine, began <laughs> publication. Uh, the top TV shows at the time were Dallas, 60 Minutes, Dynasty, which my mom watched, and The A-Team, and Simon and & Simon. Yeah, so this was the beginning of, like, primetime dramas. Like, yes. primetime soap-type um, shows, uh, Dallas and Dynasty. My mom, actually, this would have been exactly around this time. My mom was in uh, grad school um, around this time. And she, like, she was working full-time, and she was going to class at night. And, and she would tell me, literally, the only evening she had free was Tuesdays. And... Um, this was before, this like right before cable. So it's like, you just had to watch whatever the fuck was on. And the only show, <laughs> show that was on on Tuesdays was the A-Team. Which oh my is... God. I can't imagine your mom watching the A-Team. Yeah. <laughs> um, truly one of the dumbest, uh, shows, which again is just this weird hallmark of the era. Um, 
just, uh, I don't know. I feel like the bar was just very, very low for entertainment at the time. It was just kind of like, whatever is out there is what you get. Good luck. (laughs) It's, you know, we're all doing coke. We're all voting for Reagan. (laughs) We're all Uh, wearing very light shades of pink. Uh, I have one more fact from 1983 that I really wanted to share, which is Papa John sold his car in 1983 to help start up his pizza company. He later located and bought the car back in 2009. And then, of course, as we all know, (laughs) in in 2018, Papa John was fired from the board of directors and as the face of the company for using racial slurs and saying that, that the peaceful protest from... In the form of taking the knee started by Colin Kaepernick, the great, was hurting the pizza business. I feel like, especially <laughs> in June 2020, um, that's really aged super well, that sentiment. <laughs> you know, I think it's absolutely hilarious that he's like, oh no, it's definitely Colin Kaepernick and not the fact that my pizza tastes like shit. <laughs> he, like, he said, I mean... The my favorite part of the Papa John story, and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of good parts. Um, but he, you know, he said the N word on a conference call, and I believe it was actually like a sensitivity training. Like it was. <laughs> that oh he my said god! It. But he later said in statements that he was tricked into saying it, and I'm like, what trick? Who tricks someone into <laughs> saying that? <laughs> what what possible devious? It is unbelievable. Can you use to tr- to to trap a CEO into saying a racial slur on the phone? Well, I mean, if we look at the the way that his company started, which was the year of risky business, he likely got a lot of ideas from this he movie w- he and watched, sold the car. Watch the movie. <laughs> he's like, "This is brilliant." Yeah, I love this. I love talking about capitalism in the There's context a lot of, talk of sex about work. Capitalism in this movie and. You know, it's kind of like, I don't think it's, is it meant to show capitalism as good? Like, that's the thing, is this movie that's doesn't know thing. what tone it wants to hit. No. Like, is it this, like, kind of sly satire of suburb of, of the wealthy suburbs? Is it just, like, fucking is good? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've seen it twice. I still don't know. This I movie... don't know, because there were moments where a couple of characters would say what I presumed was like the thesis statement of the film mm. which was especially one was that was said by Tom Hanks where he said well don't you guys want to do don't you don't you want to accomplish anything or do we just want to make money yes yes and, and so you think oh okay so this kid has this really great heart and he he's wants to he's thinking a little something. bigger than everyone else nope nope <laughs> ends with ends with him making money that's the <laughs> That's the that's the moral. This movie, uh, regardless of what message it was trying to uh, say, which we still don't know, everybody mm-hmm. loved it. Um, this movie made sixty three million dollars. It cost six and a half million dollars to make. Wow! Uh, insanely successful film, eighth highest grossing film of nineteen eighty three. Again, it was still a better film than Flashdance, which I'm sorry to bring it up twice, but I'm sorry that is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, most importantly, Tom Cruise's career started with this film. Um, he became a sex symbol at, uh, basically off of his dance to old-time rock and roll. Um, and then he fucked uh, a lady on his staircase 
uh, and became more of a sex symbol. Uh, and uh, his career basically uh, owes everything to like this film and then Top Gun, which was a couple of years after this. I have a theory. I have a feeling that the character, the way that the character progresses, you know, he starts off as this waspy kid. He's wearing his like loafers and his polo shirts and his khakis. And then at the end of the movie, he kind of turns into what we know Tom Cruise to be, which is a douchebag. Scientologist. So- oh, yeah, yeah, douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I like your like quiet Scientologist. The douchebag with the sunglasses and the cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And I think. He just really liked playing that character, and he's just like, I'm going to model my personality after this version of Joel, and this is just who I am now. Well, well, that's the thing. So, first of all, I think he looks like a fucking dingus with the sunglasses and the cigarette. Yeah, he does. But there, you know, there's a scene towards the end of the film where he, you know, he puts on the sunglasses, and he stands up, and he gives that big Tom Cruise grin, um... And, and the camera stays on him, I think, too long in that yeah, shot. absolutely. But, but that's the shot that basically uh, flipped the on switch for Tom Cruise. Yeah, there were a lot of moments on in this film where he was having scenes on a couch. And I thought, oh, if only <laughs> Foreshadowing, you, yeah. If only you knew what kind of world-changing events would happen on a couch. Plus, at one point, future. the Princeton interviewer uh, asks him about the history of psychiatry and the use of antidepressants to treat postpartum depression. <laughs> 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 Fucking Tom Cruise. Yeah. It is a wild journey from start to finish. This movie is... <sighs> this it checks it, every it box for what we look for in a film for this podcast. Oh, 100%. I I remember thinking when I watched it a long time ago, like this is not what I expected. Watching it again now, I'm like, why was this made? <laughs> but, you know, this I I'm sure appealed to specifically white males. Yes. Who thought that, you know, if they could learn anything about women from this film it would help them in the future but if anything if you've watched risky business and you took a lot out of it i am pretty sure you probably had some sort of lawsuit filed against you at some point (laughs) in your life because everyone who wins at the end of this is a fucking asshole that's a terrible (laughs) terrible human being (laughs) so uh, the first question i have related to the film is tom cruise is his performance actually good if I was to give him any kind of rating, I would say a B plus because okay. he does have really great moments of innocence and really great moments of true, uh, like being in the moment as an actor. I'm, I'm very impressed with, cause he seemed really young and I looked it up and he was around 19 at the time. Okay. And for a 19 year old kid. He looks like a fucking baby. Like, he does. He for a 19 really year old kid, he did a really excellent job. But there were moments where you could see, now looking back on it and knowing everything I know about Tom Cruise, there were moments where I could see that he is a little unhinged. Yeah, like, like I like Tom Cruise's acting generally. Sure, um, and I'm, he's good. I, like, I like the Mission Impossible films a lot. I like Jerry Maguire a lot. Like, I like stuff like that. But um, I, think, I think you're right, though. I think the times when it works the best in this film are when he is playing like a scared high schooler. Absolutely. um, Who is like dealing with 
I think it's a little over the top the way it's written, but dealing with this suffocating anxiety of, like, he's having recurring stress dreams about taking the SAT and stuff like that. Um, that works. And then when he, like, tries to be cool and fuck a lot and <laughs> run a brothel, like, it just completely falls flat, and I don't understand how they wrote that character. I don't either. I don't really see how the character would go from being that anxious wreck to being this kid in such a short amount of time. But I have a question for you that I thought to ask, yes. which was, who of the actors now in this time period do you think could pull off this character better? That is a that is a great question. Um, it's difficult because it's like I it, like I don't know a lot of actors who can like play a high school age. Um, I can't think of many off the top of my head. Okay, so what if it was like gender flipped? Oh, okay. And it was like uh, it was like a, a young woman who was like, my parents are out. It's time for me to get dicked down. <laughs> And then, um, and then opens a child sex ring. <laughs> um, oh, God. So if I was thinking that, I kind of feel like, um, uh, you know who I'm thinking of is, uh, and it's, it's definitely I'm reading into the character, but uh, Madeline Peach, who plays uh, Cheryl Blossom on Riverdale. <laughs> she would be excellent. <laughs> She's got a kind of ruthlessness to her. Exactly. I, I think Tom Cruise doesn't have. Right. Right, Tom, again, there's there's definitely, like, signs that there's maybe a screw that's a little looser than it should be in this right. movie. But um, not malicious. No, absolutely not. <clears throat> yeah, um, I feel like you have to be a little malicious to start a child sex trafficking child ring. sex trafficking ring. Uh, which, again, is what this movie is about. Oh, um, my God. So, so and disturbing. That, and that's, you know, the second question that I have in the Google Doc here. Does this movie make any fucking sense? I mean, it uh, makes sense why so many people grew up to be such sexual deviants. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is it makes, like, and again, we said it's weird tonally. There's a lot of, like, kind of, well, there's a lot of actual dream sequences in the movie, and then there are a few sequences which are not dream sequences, but are shot to look like them. Yeah, like, um, the the one where, uh, what is the, what is her, her name? Uh, Lana, Lana. Okay, when Lana comes into Joel's house for the first time, she kind of leans in the doorway, then gets naked, and then the doors fly open. Flat and wind blowing in. <laughs> and leaves start flying into the house while he's feeling her up. And it's just so disturbing. I thought he was going to, like, wake up. I thought scene. so, too. But it was a real scene. But that's that's a real thing that it, happens in the plot of the film. Yeah, and this was the I, full frontal nudity. Yes, yeah. Was, also, it, yeah, the movie's lot. rated R. They say a lot of fuck words, and you see some <laughs> you see some boobs. Um, yeah, you see so, some boobs. There, uh, I, I mean, I I do have to bring up again the whole idea of women being hot back then. Still, kind of the same motif of like being rail thin, like Jennifer Aniston in the early two thousands. Yes, there were All, things where they're like her body, her legs. I'm like she. Okay, yeah, she this has, wouldn't work now. It's another no ass, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like nowadays, you know, you'd have like a Kardashian playing Lana, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. So we have, well, we have Madeline Peach, we have a Kardashian, well, now it's getting confused. Now, um, now we're not making this movie. <laughs> um, the uh, So uh, the movie makes no sense, you know, so there's these weird like dream sequences. So if you kind of think of it as basically one giant masturbatory fantasy for a privileged 80s kid. Yeah, um, it's it perfect. Almost, it almost hangs together, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so uh, we open, and actually we open basically with a jerk-off fantasy um, because <laughs> we have Tom Cruise describing a dream he has where he sees a hot lady in the shower and when he's about to walk in and join her in the shower because she's like, come here and wash my back, he ends up in an SAT testing room. Baby. Right. Um, I thought the the only cool part of the movie was when he was walking towards the shower. The the shower was kind of sliding away. Yeah, they did him. the vertigo shot. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, <laughs> okay, I think I'm on board. And then I'm like, no, <laughs> like immediately after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, I understand the whole SAT thing. You know, his dad went to Princeton, and he his parents obviously have a whole lot of money. There are a lot of extensive shots of the inside of their house, which is featuring a lot of beautiful, expensive things. Very much about materialism. So, you know, his idea of success is centered around having, just having anything. Yes. So his friends obviously have, from how they describe these friends, have a lot more fun than he does, but he really can't. Yeah, he has, Joel has never fucked. I also think Tom Cruise has never fucked. Uh, Oh, I have, I have something that will prove otherwise, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Um, But he like, he's like talking to his friends about like how he almost hooked up with this girl, but he didn't because he was worried. He figured he would have gotten into trouble somehow. His parents are super uptight. His dad arranged a Princeton interview for Joel without telling him. Yeah, he's like, it's on this date, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's so scared of fucking up his future. And look, I went to high school here. Like, <laughs> I, like this is, the, I, I, I did not grow up in the North Shore, but I went to a high school on the North Shore, and everyone that I went to school with had a very fancy-ass house. And also was terrified of somehow disappointing their parents deep down. Wow. Um, White so people have it so hard. It, it, it with, <laughs> with, you know, just stress that comes with just unbelievable privilege and comfort. Like, <laughs> just uh, very, um, it, it, I mean, that part of it is still, uh, it's still there. Glencoe, Glencoe, yeah, Glencoe, Illinois is a real place. Um, it hasn't gone away. Um, I don't think... Um, there's a lot of, like, uh, sex workers that are there regularly, but I don't... (laughs) I mean, who knows? We don't know at this point. This could have inspired a lot of activity. (laughs) Started Um, by teenage boys. (laughs) The other thing that's weird about the early um, scenes is, like, especially when Joel is dropping his parents off at the airport, those are all POV shots. Yeah, it was interesting. (laughs) They, They didn't really continue that motif, and I kind of dreaded... The idea that the POV shots would continue. In yeah, because that's with... too much like a porno. Yeah, so I, I was a little worried, but luckily they went the other direction. The, again, though, they, there was no consistency because there was no. narration at the beginning. That's and then that, yes! these, the POV shots, and then they just totally let those go. And then they brought those back at some point and then the, let those go again. There's narration in the opening scene and then no narration. And then the final third of the film is like all narration. <laughs> very very weird and this is a famous technique in filmmaking known as shitty writing (laughs) although you know the synths were great from tangerine dream thank you for your service a lot of tangerine dream Um, yeah and then you know basically he's home alone by himself 
Uh, how okay it was not specified how long his parents were gone but it seemed like an eternity well that's that's just because the movie felt very long i think they were gone a week a week okay because i thought a weekend and i thought that's too short no that's too short yeah a week that's that's a they the mom would repeat often that she trusts him and to use his best judgment and he did not, neither of those things. <laughs> no, yeah, did not play out that way. He broke their trust many times, but you know, whatever. <clears throat> um, thankfully, you do not have to wait very long in the movie to get to the no pants dancing. Uh, <laughs> iconic scene, parodied countless times. Uh, I sent Nadia a gif of the parody from Alf this morning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was great. Um, this, uh, you know, it's fine, I guess, as scenes go. I would say, like most scenes in this movie, probably could have cut at least 60 seconds out of it. I don't understand. It's kind of like the Mel Gibson dancing with the, but, yes. the hat rack kind of thing. I don't understand why this became such an iconic moment. Is it because a boy is showing their legs? That's basically what it is, is you get to see Tom Cruise's tidy whities um all right he's he's a good looking man i guess maybe the internet has just desensitized me it probably i mean that's the thing i mean it's 1983 i mean nobody nobody had porn wasn't invented until what 1991 right and then uh and, and yeah and so everybody's like well this is the closest that i get um yeah i guess so i gotta really put myself in the mindset of a kid in the 80s who was just bored and horny <laughs> he's so horny he's so horny um his and and also early on we get the scene that you were describing earlier nadia where he's at the um the diner with his friends talking about making money right um and there was one did you did you catch the salary that they dropped for a harvard mba out of school Forty thousand, and uh, a, and a dermatologist was sixty thousand. Yeah, I started crying. I know. I was like, uh, <laughs> "This is so sad." Also, I just want to also point out that Bronson Pinchot, yes, <laughs> known sexual deviant, is in this film as a young lad, and I think, like many other men who were influenced by this film. He did not go in a good direction after being in this movie. Yeah, and if you guys remember, I think in um, in the What Men Want episode, Nadia makes reference to Branch and Pinchot being, um, I think, one of her favorite actors and one of your favorite people, too, one of your favorite human beings. Was that what no, you said? No, no, no. <laughs> he is a great comedic actor. However, he is a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> um, yeah, so his, this is where they have the conversation. Oh, you know, we got to gotta get into the good schools, got to get into the good business schools. Harvard MBA, first year out, you could be pulling down $40,000 a year. Can uh, you and, believe and, it? And Joel's like, is all you guys care about making money, which will end up being the only thing he cares about. Um, yeah, so it was weird. I think it's it's interesting because the age of the group of kids isn't super clear. So they're taking their SATs, so that's junior year. But they are seniors? I don't but understand. But he's interviewing for college already. It's a little ambiguous. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. I'm glad because I thought I had missed something. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous. Um, so the natural progression, I guess, in his board horniness <laughs> is hiring a call girl well um, he has this friend named miles who's, who's an played, asshole <laughs> who plays who's played by curtis armstrong who plays one of my favorite characters in another movie from the 80s called better off dead with john cusack <laughs> i think he's fantastic in that film but here he's a complete 
dipshit. And he, (laughs) he really wants, for some reason, he is dead set on getting Joel to fuck. I don't understand how male friendships work. I've never cared about any of my guy (laughs) friends that much. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't really get it, but he really wants his friend to fuck, and so he goes into the newspaper and finds an ad. Yeah, oh, sorry, let's back up on, on a that newspaper. for just a second. <laughs> just a second. There's classified ads for sex workers in the newspaper, um, one of which reads, Girls Any Age. Uh, uh, it was uh, bad. Anyways, so he calls one of the numbers. Yeah, so he like goes through and he quote-unquote orders someone by just saying hey this is joel at this and this address okay bye and he hangs up the phone you'd think that someone would be like can i give you a confirmation number but no we require a deposit (laughs) they're no they come anyway and the person who comes to the door seemingly comes to the door as a joke for the for the viewer right yeah so so it is a uh transgender uh sex worker and this and, is where I go, come on. And just the biggest groan now, right, is is because imagine this would have fucking killed in the movie theaters. In, yeah. All it the white boys would have been like, just oh, my God, it's a man. I can't believe it. Uh, and she she gives Joel the number to someone that all white boys in yes. the North Shore would Here, like. Call this number. It's what every white boy off the lake wants. Um. And then and we get to Lana. Well, but also, sorry, one other thing is in between um, in between this woman and Lana, he, like, tries to jerk off, which oh, makes, right. no, makes no sense. No, I wanted one. to fast forward through the whole thing. You got to <laughs> you got to save that. Uh, but <laughs> but he he um, he's jerking off and he's fantasizing about fucking this lady and then the cops pull up outside in his it's fantasy in his baby he's his babysitter yeah we know you're fucking the babysitter come out with your hands up like why are you getting arrested in your stroke fantasy i again there's no clear vision we don't really know what his goal is does he want to get later does he want to get into college neither he, or both i, I don't know I, um, I don't know, but the the dream is interrupted, obviously, by his own psyche. So yeah. he's he's just done. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then Lana shows up, and everything's fine. Lana shows up, and we fucking lean on those synths. <laughs> um, um, we get it's... the nudity. We get the wind blowing the door open. We don't. We're not sure at first if it's real, but it turns out it is. Right, but it's he's so good. Also, which is another myth. That's insane to me. Yeah. This is another myth that I'm sure a lot of guys in the 80s were like, I'm going to be amazing. Because because it seemed like she was having a great time. Like, and I, it like, and he's fucking for the first time on the stairs. Yeah. While we... While we pan over a photograph of him as a boy, by the way, which there I think... There are so many moments like this where he's doing something and then they pan to a baby photo. Like, is and that meant to be a joke? Like, is it funny? I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to associate that with that. <laughs> what are you doing to me? Folks, if you don't like associating sexual intercourse with children, 
this movie may not be for you. This is, I didn't look up the director. I don't know uh, who Brickman. he is. He's done very little else. He's directed almost nothing else. He He's written a couple other films. Okay, were they also about babies having sex? I have not seen any of them. Okay. I, I feel like this guy, is a, this guy is like a fucking creep, is all yeah. I'm saying. I, I got a creepy vibe from this whole thing. But anyway, after this whole thing, you know, Lana makes, she makes herself some breakfast. She's having a cigarette on the lanai <laughs> outside. And Joel is like, hey, I had a great time, but I got to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> which like, made me so upset uh, it's so gross but you uh, know that all of the teenage boys who are watching this at the movie theater were like yeah that's what i'm gonna do man i'm gonna have sex and go to school uh, <laughs> and then the other thing which again like everything in the past 10 minutes of this film has just melted my brain yeah but um but then apparently they didn't agree on payment uh no. before this moment um right when she's like okay well you owe me 300 dollars. he's like oh i don't have that like yeah all that he has left because his parents gave him 125 dollars for the entire week yeah for like pizza money and stuff and he paid jackie 75 dollars for her time in a cab and so he didn't have much left. So he's like, he could have been like, I have 50 bucks. And she would have been like, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, look, when I pick up a fast food order, I check the bag like, <laughs> to make sure everything is there. If you right. hire, if you hire a call girl, maybe figure out uh, what you owe her <laughs> before you get involved. Right. So he's like, okay, I don't have any cash here, but I have a bond. I have a bank. savings bond. Yeah. So he goes to the bank and he goes through this little box full of things that his like family gave him. And he takes out a bond that his grandparents gave him when he was a baby. That was like, we hope that your life is filled with happiness for $300. And he cashes it out to give to Lana. It was quite a moment. It was. Um... And, and but but the thing is, he comes back to his home to give her the cash, and she's not there anymore. And neither is one of those expensive things that we pan to at the beginning of the film. A stupid it, glass egg. <laughs> was it a crystal egg or a glass egg? Uh, it was probably crystal. Okay, but so it had that, its own little light fixture on the mantle so it could shine on the egg. So it's so stupid. It's a that's fucking our egg. MacGuffin. Uh, for the rest of the film is Lana has taken the egg as collateral. How's Joel going to get that egg back? Um, he eventually wow. tracks her down at the Drake Hotel um, in downtown Chicago. And uh, he's like, hey, I want my egg back. I have your money. And she's like, get in the car, drive away, because she is being threatened by Guido, the deadly pimp. <laughs> And he has a gun, and it's getting really scary. Uh, Miles is there, and he's like, you gotta just go. Then Guido takes out the gun and kind of taps the window, and you're yeah. just like, oh, fuck, things got really, yeah. really scary. Yeah, and then there's a car chase in the middle of risky business. <laughs> the car chase is also going 40 miles per hour. 
It's just the worst, stupidest car chase ever. It is. And there is a shot of Park Ridge, Illinois, my hometown in there. So uh, shout out. Did you get really happy and excited? I did. Um, (laughs) Shout out Park Ridge. Also a shot of the Baha'i Temple in Wilmette, Illinois. There's only one Baha'i Temple on every continent and North America got Wilmette. Uh, and then, uh, they get away from him, he, like, spins out in his dad's Porsche, and then he, like, it's actually kind of a funny line, he, he says the line from the old Porsche commercials where he's like, Porsche, there is no substitute, and Miles yells, (laughs) fuck you! (laughs) Yeah, that was actually an improvisation from Curtis Armstrong. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm, and he said that he really hoped that they kept it in, and they did, in his memoir, but one of my favorite lines from this scene was, Oh man, I got a trig midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido the Killer Pimp. <laughs> I loved that. It was it was only one of the two times I think I laughed out loud watching that film. There are there are a couple funny moments in this movie. I w- I will give them that, but it does not make it worth it. Yeah, uh, but after this whole thing, they get back home and they fuck again. But they fuck again and Lana time, just won't leave. Yeah, she won't leave, and also she didn't charge him for it, so it was like a thank you fuck. (laughs) Like, thanks for saving me from the killer pimp. I gotta go. Just kidding, I'm staying here forever. (laughs) (laughs) And he won't leave. He's like, listen, I gotta go to school. And she's like, why don't you just go to school? I'll be here. I'll see you later. And she's wearing her, his dad's Princeton uh, hoodie a la Ariana Grande as a dress. No, yeah, no pants. No the, pants. The, the hem of the hoodie goes right below her crotch. Yeah. It's pretty great. And so he he has to run and haul ass to school. And this is where we get a glimpse of his sprinting skills that we'll see in all the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's hauling ass, getting into class, and he makes it just in time to take a pop quiz and probably likely failing it. So yeah. we, we here get to see that he's a really shitty student. <laughs> Unbelievably bad. Unbelievably. Um, also, uh, so around this time, while Lana is staying at his house, she starts inviting some of her colleagues back to also fuck other people in Joel's house. Right, of course, including and, Joel's friends. Including Joel's friends. underage. Yeah, and she um, she makes, up, makes it up to him by kicking him some points from... <laughs> From each of the transactions. Right. Like, oh, yeah, no, house gets $50, yeah. And he's like, I, I am not the house. You have to get out. <laughs> so they, they leave, and they have some some clothes on some hangers. Like, they just got their dry cleaning done, and they're just walking out of the house, and Guido shows up. And then you're like, uh-oh. And they start fighting on the lawn because yeah. they don't want anything to do with Guido. He They don't work for him anymore. Right. They but, apparently work for Joel. Yeah, so now they apparently work for Joel, and Guido is like, you're not going to think about me for the rest of the film, but I will show up in the last 15 minutes. I am still important to the final scene of the film. <laughs> and then he leaves for pretty much the entire movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Lana and her colleagues start thinking, hey, you know, it's kind of an untapped market here. We got all these North Shore teens. They come really fast, and they have money. <laughs> Uh, so they take a liking to Joel and they kind of are trying to put together some business ideas. So we don't, uh, we don't build that out just yet. Um, but they do go, uh, to, I believe it's Belmont Harbor, uh, (laughs) right off Lake Michigan and, uh, and smoke, uh, marijuana reefer cigarettes. Yep. Reefer madness. Um. And they have some ice cream. 
Of course. Get so, out those munchies. One very funny line when they ask, um, Miles asks Joel, are you stoned? And Joel just deadpans, no, I do not believe so. <laughs> yes, that was pretty funny. And we get a really good glimpse into how unhinged Tom Cruise could truly be. <laughs> um, but also, uh, we get Lana's backstory, which is incredibly dark and sad. Uh, and, um... The movie at one point flirts with having a message that could actually be interesting. <laughs> but then uh, takes a totally different direction. It immediately abandons it. So, yeah. like, Lana, you know, Joel is, it, basically Joel is pretty judgmental of Lana, yeah. right? Yes. Um, and he's asking her some, some questions that obviously have some judgment behind them. Like, hey, how come you never finished school? Or, hey, how come you left home? Uh, type of thing. And... Lana says, uh, we don't even need to get into Lana's backstory because it's extremely dark and sad, but it's she really does sad. say at one point, I'd appreciate it if you stop laying these judgments on me while you lean against your dad's $40,000 car. And you're like, oh, well, that's, that's actually, she's correct. Um, and I'm like, wait, so now is Joel bad? Is Joel good? Do I like Joel? Well, here's the thing. Is he going to redeem himself? If we're going off of the premise of don't you actually want to accomplish something instead of caring about money... Mm-hmm. which is what Joel had said at the beginning. It's like, where did you flip-flop? <laughs> what? When did that change for you? It, when he fucked. That's what fucking jo- does. It changes you. Oh, fucking makes you a capitalist. That makes sense. <laughs> fucking makes you a capitalist or causes you to have a stroke and die, as in Dave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is, you know, it's just bad for you. Stop doing it. <laughs> don't fuck. Listeners, don't, don't do fuck. it. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, but you know, she gets pissed off and he's like running after her, but all of a sudden <laughs> for no reason, I don't think. I don't know what causes this to happen. Well, so okay, so here's here's the thing. In the 1980s, I think <laughs> cars were shittier. <laughs> a Porsche? Well, okay, yeah, that's a good point. But I think you it, like if you didn't actually put the parking brake on, apparently a car can just roll away from you. <laughs> yeah, and so it started rolling down a very small hill into to a the, dock. Into a dock, and Joel is trying to stop it by standing in front of it and trying to push it back the other way, and that doesn't work because it's like a ton. Yeah, some of- kind of physical, kind of funny physical comedy from Tom Cruise. As right. he tries to stop the car. And the car rolls all the way to the end of the dock. And right before it goes off the edge, it stops rolling. Right. Except the dock is old and falls apart. And then apart. the dock just collapses. And I laughed out loud at that. <laughs> I thought I thought that was very good timing. It was great timing. I thought timing. it was a pretty funny visual gag. But then the stakes are raised because of that. Because now, not only does he have to get the egg back, but he has to get his father's car repaired before they get back. I don't know where we are in the timeline of their vacation, but it seems like the damage would take more than three days to change, to fix. But, they, you know, They literally open the door and gallons of water and fish, living <laughs> fish. Come out of the car. Pour out of the car. It's great. So um, he has to make a lot of money really fast. Really fast. And he, by the way, he misses class to take the car to the mechanic. So he gets an unexcused absence. He's suspended because he threatens the school nurse at one point. That just happens at yeah. one point. Yeah, of he's, course. 
he because he has an unexcused absence he fails the test that he was supposed to take so he thinks he's never going to get into college and apparently he his world is shattered right so he goes to lana he knows exactly where she is for some reason apparently yeah he like knows nothing about her except her address and so he goes and on his friend's bike because the car is wrecked and cries into her arms like a small baby because again he's maybe 17 years old and i want to be absolutely clear that when this happens we fucking pound those synths again (laughs) (laughs) so lana has the solution to it all act three baby here we go this is where babies fuck (laughs) lana says i hate it we're gonna make all the money to fix the car in one night we're gonna convert your house into a brothel i'm gonna bring in all my friends we're just gonna have all your friends come and pay to fuck and we're gonna make thousands of dollars um this is also the part of the movie where narration abruptly resumes for no reason (laughs) voiceover narration he's started wearing sunglasses and smoking he looks like a fucking goober and Mm -hmm. it makes no sense when the i checked the time code when the brothel starts, which is supposed to be the climactic moment of the film, there are 29 minutes left. Oh, good God. <laughs> and by this time, I think I had made myself a snack because <laughs> I was so hungry. You have, you do, it's like um, running a marathon, how you technically can't do it without eating something. Right. Um, <laughs> to keep yourself alive. That's what watching this movie feels like. Yeah, it was, it's, it's quite a marathon. I was in pain the entire time. <laughs> um. So, uh, it repeatedly throughout this scene, people are walking in who are clearly children. Um, it's just... like they got the oldest looking women with the youngest looking boys on purpose. And it's like, and it's meant as a joke. It's like someone's younger brother. It's uh, not funny though. Yeah. It is so disturbing. It's, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and also during this time, the Princeton interviewer shows up. Right. And oh, also my favorite tiny detail that was never uh, addressed but had a lot of visual gags about it was they rented mattresses. So every room in the house had a mattress, and if they if it was a bed if it wasn't a bedroom, they would roll in a mattress yeah. so that the women could you know do their business and then you know move on with life. <laughs> okay, so no, I just want to make sure I understand. You're saying they should have had a brothel but not had standards. <laughs> I'm just saying that they paid quite a lot of attention to detail, and I respect that. Um, the Princeton interviewer shows up. Joel is, like, sitting with him in the interview room as as uh, prostitutes are walking in and out of the room, right? Right. Um, of course. And, and just um, the interview's a disaster, uh, and Joel eventually it like knows it's a disaster and is like you know what sometimes just gotta be like what the fuck which is a thing that his friend told him at the beginning of the film is that supposed to be like the 80s version of fuck it because like there's no punctuation so it's not like you know like what the fuck or like what the fuck it's like what the fuck yeah it's like (laughs) "Ah, what the fuck yeah we'll just (laughs) what the fuck we'll just bring them all in here and have my friends fuck them um What, what the fuck? We'll just commit unspeakable sex crimes in this house. Uh. Um, however, uh, the scene does end with uh, the funniest line in the movie, and honestly, the funniest line in uh, most movies, which is 
after he takes the interview, Lana walks in and is like, Joel, how's it going? And he stands up and yells, looks like the University of Illinois. <laughs> and then there was that really long They shot. linger on him doing the Tom Cruise grin in the sunglasses. It looks like him doing an interview in 1987, but he's doing it as a character in 1983. It is so disturbing. Just so, so disturbing. Knowing, knowing where it all goes. Just knowing where... <laughs> It's all going and being like, <laughs> Shelly Miskovich could be dead right now. And and it's not his fault directly, but he's enabling it. And so the uh, uh, previous statements were made allegedly and in parody. Please do not sue our podcast. So Or kill us. <laughs> um, so uh, that, as it turns out, is not the climax of the film. No, you would think it was, but there's more. <laughs> there's more. Uh, and we get to the main part where they fuck on a train. Yeah, um, that is apparently her dream of all dreams. This is, you know, his dream is to go to Princeton and make 60K, and her dream is to fuck on a train. That's fuck on a train. Long. But it is, the, it is the CTA. Uh, so, so, you know, good for her. While, while Phil Collins is singing Coming in the Air Tonight, wink, wink. Uh, um, uh, while Phil Collins is singing Coming in the Air Tonight, they go now. I was trying to figure out which line it was that they were on, um, and they do go down. They go into the subway. Most of the trains in Chicago are elevated. There's only two lines that run on a subway. And it's the red line and the blue line. So they definitely fucked on the red line. Oh, uh, good for them. Good for them. That that is the one that you would fuck on. I think this is supposed to be that scene, kind of like American Pie, where it's like iconic or whatever. Yes. Where. They fuck on the train, and it's, like, in weird slow motion. It's in motion. slow motion. Oh, my God. It's painful, and I'm just like, how much is left? Oh, good. Ten more minutes. But there's another conflict. Oh, there, you remember Guido? You forgot? <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> he um, shows up. He com- Tom Cruise comes back to his house the next morning after fucking uh, <laughs> on the train. Um, the red line runs 24 hours, by the way, so you can you can do that. Um but uh, every stick of furniture in his house is gone. Everything. kind of a funny sight gag. That um, was funny. Guido took it, um, and he's like, I want all the money you made. So, so he basically forces Tom Cruise in an interminable scene to purchase back all of his furniture with his yeah. pimp money. Item by item. Item by item. Right. Um. And in the end, the egg is there. Yeah, the egg is there, and uh, Guido throws the egg off the side of the truck, and Tom Cruise catches it. Um, It's so fucking... I guess that's supposed to be funny, that he has to, like, dive for it like a football. But, you know, he wasn't a sports kid, so, like, that was unfounded. (laughs) It was unfounded. They they did not earn that catch. They didn't. Um, He gets home, his parents get... He forgot to pick up his parents, but you know what? They bounce back. Um, and he's like, I just had fun drinking soda pops here, mom and dad. And uh, and then his dad's like, I heard from the Princeton interviewer, who we saw fucked in the brothel, by the way. Yeah, um, of course. I heard from the Princeton interviewer. He says, Princeton needs more guys like you. I'm so proud of you, son. Ta-da! And then <laughs> Tom Cruise looks at the camera and says, now that's risky business. <laughs> there was a moment where... That I thought could have been interesting right before that happened where he and Lana were eating at a restaurant and he asked if the whole thing had been a setup from Guido to just make a whole lot of money. 
And I kind of thought that Lana was going to say yes. But she said no. But I also think she could have been lying. Maybe she meant yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, then they, they never really touched on that. They never really explained it. It was just something that could have happened. Risky business. And that's risky business. <laughs> uh, this movie, movie sucks. This movie sucks. When I saw it in high school, I didn't like it either. Um, it sucks. It is one of the defining films of the early 1980s. Jeez. It's really, really unfathomable to me how people thought this was a good movie. Well, let's talk about some of the people who thought this was a good movie. Yes, please. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, oh. Look, here's the thing. I I read a lot of Roger Ebert interviews on this show. One, because they're all archived online and they're very easy to find. Okay. Two, he's from Chicago. Three, I love Roger Ebert. He's, he's the best. Great, he's a great writer. He's a great reviewer. Um, you know, he had the TV show uh, with uh, Gene Siskel uh, at the movies with Siskel and Ebert. And Siskel was stereotypically like the more um, snobby film goer. And Ebert was the populist. He wrote for the cheaper paper. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> he loved just, he loved body humor. He loved uh, big action movies. He loved popular films. He, he's, he's like the everyman reviewer. And I love that about him. He gave this fucking movie four stars. Oh, wow. I did not expect that. Writing, quote, Risky Business is a movie about male adolescent guilt. In other words, it's a comedy. It's uh. funny. <laughs> it's funny because it deals with subjects that are so touchy, so fraught with emotional pain, that unless we laugh, there's hardly any way we can deal with them, especially if we are now or ever were a teenage boy. This description may make Risky Business sound like a predictable sitcom. It is not. It is one of the smartest, smartest, funniest, <laughs> most perceptive satires in a long time. Satire? It not, it not only invites comparison with The Graduate, it earns it. Okay, so look. We've what? talked about we've talked about The Graduate before. It's one of my right. favorite movies. It has had an influence on decades of filmmaking in terms of how directors use their toolbox to depict alienation and loneliness and stuff like that. This is not the fucking Graduate. No. I don't I don't even see how this is clearly a satire. Yeah. Here is a great comedy about teenage sex. The very best thing about the movie is its dialogue. Paul Brick <laughs> Okay. Paul Brickman, who wrote and directed, has an ear so good that he knows what to leave out, which he does not. He clearly does no, not. No, he does not. We just talked about how long this movie felt. This is a movie of new faces and inspired insights and genuine laughs. It's hard to make a good movie and harder to make a good comedy and almost impossible to make a satire of such popular but mysterious obsessions as guilt greed, lust, and secrecy. This movie knows what goes on behind the closed bathroom doors of the American dream. So mm, this okay. isn't a satire of greed and lust because the message of the film is greed and lust are awesome. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, I read, not to encroach on your review time, no, but no, I no. read Curtis Armstrong, the guy who played Miles, he wrote a memoir about his whole career, and this had a really hefty chapter in his book. Mm -hmm. And he said that Warner Brothers apparently wanted more sex in the movie. And uh, he wrote, and I quote, they were adamant that the party scene needed a lot more. Here was this long sequence packed with hookers and horny high school boys, and not a single bare breast was revealed. 
Brickman ignored them, the director. You can call off your dogs, he joked to studio executives after a highly successful test screening. They intended to do, to do no such thing. Brickman was blindsided by the request, which quickly became a demand that he scrapped the end of the film to make it less of a downer. So the original ending was that Joel did not get into Princeton. And that <laughs> then the message would have been clear that, you know, m- money isn't ev- everything, I guess. But, quote, make it more teen movie, they said. The original ending was darker but truer to Brick- Brickman's concept from the beginning. Greed has consequences. Joel does not get into Princeton. Interesting. I so, do like yeah. that Warner Brothers is simultaneously giving the notes of make it more a teen movie and can we please see more titties? <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe Warner Brothers really fucked this one up. Because in the end, they did have to do a, a, a whole bunch of reshoots for the end. So the ending was, was completely different. And they stopped production, I think, for a few months and had to bring wow. everyone back to, to redo it. Huh. Yeah, so maybe it's Warner Brothers' fault. I'm, I'm fine with blaming Warner, Warner Brothers for that. That's fine. Okay. Uh, I have one more review. Uh, This was a staff review from TV Guide magazine. Remember TV Guide? We used to used to have those. Know what was on TV? They had comics in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Quote: One of the key films of the 1980s, and proof that a teen sex comedy could merit serious consideration. Smart, stylish, and cynical about the values of its time, this movie aspires to be the graduate for its generation. What the fuck? (laughs) And it comes pretty close. It comes, hello, pretty hello. close. Um, and if you think that's the most absurd film comparison in that review, let me direct you to the next paragraph, which begins, like Fellini's Eight and a Half. <laughs> Risky Business begins with the revealing dream of its stymied protagonist. Um, I would say the similarities to Fellini probably end around there. Uh, the review goes on, Cruz is likable and credible in the lead. His youthful nervousness and exuberance in the early part of the film particularly his star-making solo dance around the empty house, are joyous to behold. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see the joyousness. I don't think that it's iconic, as as people say, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm not a hater. I just have taste. <laughs> it's like, we're not a hater. We've spent 80 minutes tearing into this film, but we're not haters. Well, did you know that Tom Cruise did a reenactment of that dance in the 2010 MTV Movie Awards? Uh, it does not surprise me, but yeah, uh, I so, did not know that. They. It was around the time that Tropic Thunder came out, where Tom Cruise was playing the character he's Les Grossman. He's very good in that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's playing this really horrible character <laughs> named Les Grossman, and so they reenacted him in this scene where he's home alone. He's an older guy. They got. They gave him a wig to kind yeah. of have that old like kid hair that he had, but he was wearing khaki pants. And Les Grossman is like cut, cut. This is a teen movie, and teens love ass, and he tears off the khaki pants, and now Tom Cruise is again in his skivvies, and they play the original scene from there. So, in actuality, Les Grossman directed this movie. (laughs) Uh, Just real talk for a second, I did rewatch Tropic Thunder last year thinking that there was a chance it would not hold up. Uh, It's actually extremely good. Oh, okay, I've never seen it. Oh, gotta... it's it's real good. Okay. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface for most of the film, but... Oh, great. But it works. <laughs> okay, okay, I believe you. 
Uh, I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from Curtis Armstrong's memoir yes, about please. this. So uh, what you did not cover and I did not know was that Tom Cruise was actually dating the actress who played Lana in real life. Interesting. Okay, so this actress, her name was De Mornay, was her last name, and yes. she was dating Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, the, the, the character great, actor, the great Harry Dean Stanton. Exactly, and so apparently Tom Cruise really wanted to fuck this woman, but he would show up. Harry Dean Stanton would show up to set and just hang out, and so yeah, Tom Cruise and he's would just terrifying. Get, he's really <laughs> scary, and so Tom Cruise would just kind of get really frustrated. And apparently, what, <laughs> according to... And, and sorry, just to be clear, when you say get really frustrated, you mean sexually. Yes, of course, of yeah. course, of course. So, according to Curtis Armstrong, Tom Cruise kind of had that, uh, like, star aloofness to himself, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, he wrote, he smiled on meeting me, giving me my first glimpse of those extraordinary chops, all white and straight and sharp and in perfect alignment, which instantly made me feel self-conscious about my own teeth. He appeared so clean. Then he called me Miles. He always called me by my character's name. At the time, I thought it was part of his process. It could be he just didn't know my name. It's almost definitely that, yeah. Right, and he also wrote, Tom was not fucking around. Actually, I take that back. He was. With Rebecca. Inaccessible. He started cutting a wide swath through the local talent. Not that I know not that I noticed right away. He self-identified as a born-again Christian. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Well, we know where that's going. And rumor was he had actually considered shepherding souls for a living. I could believe it. Away from the set, initially, Tom made straight arrows look like corkscrews. I would ask him at the end of the day if he would like to join us at the bar for a drink. No, I recall him saying, got an early call tomorrow, got to work out still, study my lines, and then I like to read the Bible a little before bed. Mm, I laughed. Now, now it's Dianetics. Right? I laughed. He didn't. Ah, I said, cutting off the laugh as the, at, at the pass and nodding wisely. A little bit of the good book before bedtime, eh? Yeah, he said, just a little at night. Keeps me on the right track, you know? But then, returning late one night, I found three or four young girls, late teens, I suspect, lined up in the hall outside of Tom's room. I remember thinking, Tom's going to be really upset if these hot girls interfere with his Bible reading. (laughs) So I asked them, with all the stern gravitas of my 28 years, if there was something I could do to help them. They just stared at me, and at that moment, Tom's door opened and another girl came out, adjusting her hair and taking off down the hall, while the first girl in line slipped into Tom's room. This was a young woman who knew something about time. Oh, sorry. This was a young man who knew something about time management and understood how to successfully juggle Bible study and blowjobs. I went to bed alone that night, thinking it served me right for not being religious. <laughs> so Tom Cruise could not fuck his co-star, and so he would just fuck everyone else. Interesting. So when you said, I think Tom Cruise was virgin. You know what? I'm wrong. Yeah, apparently also uh, Sean Penn was shooting bad boys nearby and Sean Penn would come hang out with Tom Cruise and they would chill in their underwear and Curtis Armstrong would just come in and they'd both be in their underwear just chilling, smoking. I just just feel uh, like... Yeah, it's pretty wild. And Sean Penn (laughs) is apparently in in this film driving the Porsche out of the the Oh, he's got a... Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, because he was just always around. So, you know, Tom Cruise was busy when he wasn't reading the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like if you're getting the blowjob, that doesn't count as busy. 
You know what? You're right. It's very Once again, I just want to say uh, thanks for listening to both of our moms. I know. Sorry, uh, mom. She's probably not listening. She probably stopped listening when, like, we had our first podcast with Rati Gupta called <laughs> How to Grow the Fuck Up. And she said, why do you guys have to laugh so loud? So I think she probably stopped from it. <laughs> but I do have some common sense media Yeah, reviews. I'm really eager to hear what they say about this one. I have uh, two parent reviews that I'm going to start and close with because the, the kid reviews are in the middle. That's where the meat is of the sandwich. That's, that's, where the, that's where the real good stuff happens. Yeah, so elite movie critic is a parent. They write, vile, perverse, vulgar, dark, horrible film. That if you're willing to watch this sex nudity film, film you need heart healing and need to know that protecting your eyes in purity is a lifesaver. Also, why when I look this movie up in this site, it shows four stars approval is a disappointing mystery. I did not write that grammar. <laughs> so I had to read it just how it was. That's, uh, uh, that's outstanding. I love that you need heart healing to watch this. Uh, okay. 13 year old I need heart user. healing now. I know. I do feel like I need to heal my heart a little bit. Maybe I'll do a meditation after this. Uh, 13 year old user. I feel bad using their real username, so I stopped. So 13-year-old user writes, pretty good, but a lot of inappropriate stuff. I I was went to ask my mom what Risky Business was about, and she told me, it's kind of like Ferris Bueller. It's, it yeah. is not. But she had never seen the movie, so she was just guessing. <laughs> so I thought it would be a little inappropriate, but not too much. I was wrong. The movie itself was pretty good, but if your kid isn't ready for sex scenes, then they shouldn't watch this. So I got another one from a 14-year-old user. It was super good. The movie was really good and the characters were really likable. The main nope. key was yeah. The main key was prostitution though. Joel literally turns the house into a brothel. Joel reads sex ads and one of them says, "Make you come two or three times." Good movie, not for kids or tweens. <laughs> I like that this kid probably was like pausing the newspaper scene and looking at all of the ads two or three times yeah yep okay and for the whitest review <laughs> user cranky librarian writes squirm inducing but not due to the sex tom cruise in a star making performance as the nice boy who ends up running a brothel and sheltering prostitutes in his parents tasteful north shore home most memorable line the sats are tomorrow and i'm being chased by guido the killer pimp <laughs> Yes, of course, there is a lot of sex, but the movie intelligently questions sexual values as well as the consumerist and status values of everyone in Joel's oh-so-tasteful suburb. Pa yeah, I know. It, it questions them and then it answers the question with, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> Parents may squirm more at the incisive criticism of upper-middle-class hypocrisy than the gyrating bodies. That is pretty white, yeah. That's the whitest review. I was like, I need to, now I need to just include the whitest review in all of our movies. <laughs> Moving forward. Because now uh, I feel like now that people are understanding that white people can be awful, it's a, it's a, it, I don't feel as bad. And I don't feel like I alienate as many people when I say stuff like that. <laughs> well, it, I mean, let, let's rephrase. White people are finally starting to understand that white people can be awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're I right, feel you're like right. non-white people we're, we're pretty clear on the point. <laughs> See, it's funny because I've been making these jokes for a very long time, and I would feel the white people in the room bristle, and now I feel like they're going to be like, yeah, no, you're right. 
which I appreciate, finally. Hopefully they'll laugh. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, well, any other final thoughts on the film, Nadia? Um, I don't want to watch bad movies anymore, which I yeah. know is kind of... Kind of, the, kind of the main thing that we're doing here. It defeats the though. purpose of the pod, but there have been some good ones. <laughs> so I'm hoping that the next few ones I'm pleasantly surprised by. I, because I know, can't handle another Risky Business level. No, yeah, I don't think we're going to watch another Risky Business anytime soon, but um, <laughs> no, knowing what our next couple selections are, I think, I think we're going to have uh, a lot to say that's going to be very different from just this movie sucks. Um... <laughs> Which is good. Uh, okay, yeah. I would what say, about you? Do you have any final thoughts? You know, I, I, I think back to, um, you know, the first time I had all my Thetans purged. And <laughs> it really... Uh, no, you know, I, I, I said I would make one Scientology joke, and I've blown way past that. Yeah, um, the, it's okay. The, the hard thing for me is this movie doesn't know, like, whether it wants to be funny or not. I yeah. think is like the yeah. main critique I have is like, is this funny or is this just dark and sad and scary? Like, did we did we make a mistake by not asking someone over forty to be a guest on this particular sh- episode? Why why the hell would we want that? That sounds <laughs> awful. So they could explain this kind of sense of humor that I obviously do not have. That's actually what the podcast should be: is we should have to find someone. Who, well, this is basically what we did with Garden State, except with us. <laughs> we have to find someone who loved the film when it came out and then force them to uh, defend it. <laughs> Listen, I'm still embarrassed by how much I loved Garden State Gar- growing up. Gar- like, Garden State is the worst movie we've watched. Not objectively. It's no. not. It's not the worst written or directed or acted although it is very bad at all it is bad um it's not the worst one but it's it's the the worst worst one emotionally (laughs) for how it made me feel yeah for what it made me remember about myself i know and now that i i I, i've had the time to reflect on that episode since we've done it i realized that i was such a little asshole (laughs) growing up and i'm so sorry to everyone that i ever interacted with Oh yeah, We're I'm growing. Sorry. I'm growing and healing. Please don't hold it against me. You know, I'm I'm gonna be 33 soon, and uh, I'm almost on my way to being a halfway okay person. <laughs> <laughs> but you you know the good thing is is that we watch movies like this, and we know that they're problematic in their own way, but. Even if they are critically acclaimed and iconic, we still have the heart and the courage to say that it sucks. Yes. So, you know, we just want to end by saying you're welcome to all of our <laughs> listeners for being so brave. We are uh, so great. We're so, we, we, you know, we're doing this service for you. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, a, a way to repay us would be to follow us on social media. Probably should have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. If your favorite podcast app allows you to review podcasts, uh, maybe leave us a, a gushing review of some kind. Uh, and, uh, Don't and say gushing after we just did a whole thing about risky business. Can I can not? feel it gushing in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, folks, and be sure you keep listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.